I uh, want to talk to you a little bit this morning about separation anxiety. Have you ever experienced separation anxiety? Uh, maybe you yourself have uh, gone through anxiety because you have been separated from people. Maybe as a parent you've experienced that when you turned around and you can't locate your child and uh, that heart sinking thud in the bottom of the floor, right, that happens. I, uh, 20 years ago when I first uh, arrived in France, I remember getting off the airplane and not speaking more than five words of French and being really scared to death. And I mean, it's a Western culture. There's a lot of similarities. You can still be plunged into a place that you can't speak to somebody. And my biggest fear, I think, out of all of the fears, which I had many, but the biggest one was that if I ever got stuck somewhere, even if I knew how to ask a question, that's how they did language back in the day. You have the old cassette tapes, and you learn to ask such helpful questions, right? Like, where's the library? Or uh, can you can you uh, tell me uh, where the uh, main hotel is or something? But even if you can ask a question and do it right, then you couldn't understand their answer, right? Unless you can interpret finger pointing and all sorts of things. So when I arrived, I actually got there, and I was living in a furloughing missionary's home for the first six months. They were back in the U.S. And I got to drive in a car, but I was scared to death to drive in a car. I'm a pretty good driver, but I didn't know where I would drive to. So the first week, I was in this little house in the suburb of uh, Nancy, France. And the first night I was there, guess what I did? I, I went out and set myself a two-block radius. I said, I'm going to walk down the street, down the sidewalk, two blocks, and I'm going to make my way back home. I was like a little scared mouse. I said, I can do that. I can't get lost if I do that. The next night, I doubled my distance. And the third night, I uh, quadrupled it. And I was, little by little, getting more acclimated. And uh, what I began to notice as I got into language school was I'd come home at times. And there in my house uh, that I was borrowing, I would come in sometimes and I'd find on the kitchen table there uh, my dirty laundry had been washed. It had been pressed. It had been folded and left in a laundry basket on my dining table. I had no idea who came in to do it. It was really weird because this began to be a pattern because I would leave and obviously somebody was monitoring my house. <laughs> because it always happened as I was gone out of the home and when I would come home, there it was. What a wonderful gift. But what a creepy thing to happen. <laughs> I mean, am I right? I mean, imagine that even my underwear was ironed and folded. And I came to find out later that the, the missionaries that owned own the home that were in the U.S., that they were so thoughtful that they had arranged with one of their neighbors to come in and kind of keep an eye on me. Uh, yeah, oh, it was really nice, but I would have liked to have met her first. <laughs> And so that, that just added to my separation anxiety. I was in a strange area. Uh, I didn't know what to do. And what helped me the most were my supervisor and his wife and uh, the friendship that we forged and the welcome that they gave me and a lot of hand-holding they provided and a lot of comfort along the way. I was so blessed with all of those things. Um, it was wonderful, the friendship that they gave me. I, I know it was Human beings, that is one of the deepest longings for us, is to have a place of belonging and to have people to love and relationships that are built on truth and honesty. That's so critical, but we also need desperately to know what, what the truth of life is that is worthy of building a life upon. Because our beliefs in life certainly are like rails 
upon which our lives run. The rails go a certain direction and our lives get on those rails. And the things that we believe, the things that we trust, the truth that we hold on to about the world and our place in it sets our lives on a particular course. And it is so important. And if we really believe something, if we must be prepared to act as if it were really so. And so in the Gospel of John, as we've gone through this series titled Jesus Is, looking at the various ways that Jesus described himself, he asks a question periodically throughout the Gospel. And the question is very simple. He says, do you believe? He would make a statement and then he would ask, do you believe this? Do you believe I, I am who I say that I am? Do you believe that if I make promises, I can actually keep those promises and and deliver you to the places and to myself as I have told you I can? Do you believe? Do you believe? You see, God knows that we need a place to call home. God knows that we need a person who will love us. And what he provides us, so clearly through the scripture it demonstrates, is that God, through Jesus, provides a place that is more permanent than any earthly dwelling could ever provide. He provides a relationship that is more sincere than any earthly relationship could ever provide you in other human relating. As we open up to John chapter 14, I invite you to turn there with me. Jesus is preparing his disciples for his departure, anticipating some separation anxiety along the way. He is about to leave and make his exit from this earth, but certainly not from their lives. Do you hear that? Jesus is physically leaving the the world, but not from their lives. Now here is part of the need that that these disciples are going to need. They they need to learn and to demonstrate that they're going to be able to follow the pattern of trust that Jesus has already laid out for them. He's physically not going to be present with them anymore. So how will they choose to live out their life of faithful Response Isn't that the question that we still have today? Without the physical presence of Jesus, how do we live out our lives of faithful living to the Lord? That's one of the reasons I love the, the book of Acts. Because it is showing us how the men and women in that early church settings around uh, the Mediterranean world, how they began to work out what it means to live out a faith-filled life of trust and obedience, living in the truth of Jesus without his physical presence there. How do we interact with the Holy Spirit? And we're not going to touch on all those themes. I shouldn't give you that as an introduction. But uh, the followers of Jesus were about very soon to face increasing hostility. There was going to be abandonment even among their own members. Peter is the chief among them. Three different times, very soon, he would deny even knowing the person of Jesus. So would they learn to live in trust in the truth of who Jesus is and what he's promised for them. Let's read together John chapter 14, the first seven verses. Jesus speaking, he says, Do not let your hearts be troubled. Who needs to hear that word this morning? Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so... I would have told you, I am going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back 
and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. Thomas couldn't locate his GPS locator. He says, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? Jesus answers, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. If you really knew me, you would know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him, and you have seen him. I want to just highlight, just take a a little highlighter this morning and highlight together four assurances that Jesus gives the disciples that I think are so important for us to remember and to hold on to this morning. Okay? You ready to come with me to look at four assurances? Assurance number one is that we learn that Jesus is going somewhere. Jesus is going somewhere. And I think it's important for us not to leap immediately to the place of the Father, to heaven, but to think about where he's more immediately going, and that is to the cross. Jesus says, I am going, and if I go, rest assured, I'll come back to take you to be with me. We'll get to that in a minute. Jesus is going, and because he goes to the cross, you and I have the ability and the invitation to be adopted into his family as a son of God as a daughter of God, because of what Jesus has done to deal with the problem that we all have of sin and separation with God. Now, that's really important, of course. Jesus is going to the cross. We know that this idea of adoption is a, is a strong theological theme in the, in the Bible because it points to us in Jesus saying that I am the person that you need to know. Jesus is going somewhere. He's going to the cross. And we, if we believe in him and put our trust in him, are adopted into his family. And he becomes, for our spiritual lives, the most important person for us to know. Assurance number one, Jesus is going somewhere. Somewhere that was his goal from the beginning. Somewhere that wasn't a mistake or an accident. It wasn't a rerouting of his plans because his initial plan didn't work out. No, this was the reason that Jesus came, and he came out of great love to deal with our great problem that only he can deal with. That is the message of the scripture, and that is why we call it good news. We've been talking with the children so much about why is it called good news. It's good news because it's something God gives that we could not earn or deserve Yet he gives it willingly, lovingly, and wonderfully to us. Assurance number two. Are you still with me? Assurance number two is that we discover that Jesus is preparing a place. So Jesus is going somewhere, but he's also preparing a place. That is part of the benefit of being in the family, right? If you're a son or a daughter, it comes with certain benefits because of the name you carry, the relationship you have. It gives you a place to belong. Have you ever uh, called up a restaurant, made a reservation, and showed up in the place, and uh, you give them your name, and they walk you to your table, and sometimes they'll have that little reserve sign on the table? Isn't that kind of fun? And they, they take that reserve sign off and they show you to your seats and you're sitting in a place that's been specially prepared and set aside for you. That's pretty fun, right? I remember once, uh, I, I fly a lot more Southwest these days, and I love Southwest, but what I have discovered is that, of course, in Southwest there's no assigned seating. I remember back uh, on other airlines when I've flown them, uh, the one time 
I, I had the chance, I was coming back during final exams here at the seminary, and uh, I got on an airplane, I visited my family, and I went from Oklahoma City to Dallas, from Dallas to San Francisco, and uh, something happened in Oklahoma City, I don't remember now what it was, but um, there was an issue, I think my flight was delayed or something, and the, the person at the counter said, when you get to Dallas, I'm going to really take good care of you. I said, okay, I don't know what that means. Okay, thanks. I just smiled, and you know, I was worried about my exams. I had my books in my bag, and so I went and sat down and started studying again. I got on the airplane from Oklahoma City, arrived in Dallas. I'm waiting again for my next flight, and uh, I get, get on the airplane. I hadn't even looked at my, my seat or row number, and it's row number four, seat A. Well, I'd never flown first class. So I get on the airplane, and of course, I do what I always do. I walked right through first class. And I'm looking finally, okay, I'm, I'm in my section, uh, the coach section, and I'm looking, and I'm like, this is like row 12, row 13, 14. I thought, well, maybe this is a crazy plane. Maybe at the exit row, they re start renumbering the rows. And so I keep walking, and I'm looking, and I'm like, no, there's like row 17, 18, 19. And now I look behind me, and there's a whole row of people standing behind me, of course, right? Nobody can get around. Now I'm really embarrassed. I'm like, what is going on? And I go up to the flight attendant, and I, I ask her, I say, I'm in flight uh, row four. I don't understand. She goes, oh, well, you're up in first class. And I'm like, oh. <laughs> well, that's pretty nice. I, I'm, I'm glad that I was well taken care of. But isn't it fun to have a, a, a place that's reserved for you? I still like getting off flights when I know that I have a seat that's secured, and it has my name on it. Uh, that just it gives me a lot of assurance. Uh, but those, those are examples that are really short-term, right? That's not at all what Jesus is talking about. It's similar, but he's talking about something so much better, so much more permanent. Jesus is talking about preparing a forever place for those who personally know him, love him, and have trusted in him. That is the privilege of family. You see, when you understand that Jesus has gone to the cross for you, and that he offers his forgiveness and a relationship for you. And you accept that for yourself. You become his son or his daughter. And now you're part of his family. And that comes with benefits. And one of the benefits is that he has gone and he's preparing a place that has your name on it. A place that is yours. That is with him. It's a place of belonging. It's a place where you will be known. It's a place that at the end of time, uh, the questions that you have will finally be answered. Won't that be great? Do you have questions today that linger and go unanswered about what God has done in your life or why certain events have turned in your life? But there will come a day when you will be known just as you will also fully know. I, with many people here, had the opportunity to attend Ida Times' wedding recently, and um, I was struck at the reception, both at how large the reception was, but even more how large the family table was at the reception. I'd never witnessed a, a, as large a family table as it was, but they had a person there, and their job was very clearly to protect the family table. So somebody like me, who's a friend of Ida, I wasn't allowed to sit at the family table. No matter how hungry I might have been or how, uh, how charming I might have tried to be, I wasn't part of the family, and so I wasn't seated at the family table. Do you know what I mean? When we have a father who's as good as God is, there's an inheritance that is stored up and waiting for his children. That is one of the benefits of coming to Jesus, being adopted into his family, knowing him as a person. 
then he prepares a place for your eternal, forever belonging. You belong with God, and you belong with each other with him. Assurance number three. We see that Jesus is coming again. We see that he is coming again. Later in the chapter, he would reassure us that if he's going, he is going to come back again. He's not going to leave anybody as orphans who have transitioned into his family. You see, not only is Jesus the person to know, not only is he preparing a place of belonging, but this promise that he will come again, it is the promise that preserves our relationships our relationship with him and the privileges that we enjoy with him. You see, that is one of the great things that we wait for as believers in Jesus is that he will come again for those who are his own. Isn't that such good news? You need not have separation anxiety. Jesus has made a promise, and the promise is what holds our relationship together with him. The Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, when he's describing the Lord's Supper and talking about the importance of the bread and the importance of the cup and what they remind us of and remembering who Jesus is and what he's done for us, at the very end of what he describes there, he says, every time you take this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. If we're to look to the very last verses of the entire Bible, Revelation chapter 22, Jesus himself is recorded saying, Behold, I am coming soon. Blessed is he who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. And later, right at the very end of the Bible, it says, He who testifies to these things says, Yes, I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. That's how the Bible ends. We stand at a place of waiting his return. And that is good news for us because he loves us and he will come to claim us as his very own. Is that good news today? And I hope, I hope it is. It is. It's intended to be good, good news. Assurance number one, we are adopted and Jesus is the person to know. Assurance number two is that uh, Jesus is preparing a place, a place where you and I belong because of him. Assurance number three is that he is coming again. And that promise preserves and holds steady our relationship with him. And the final assurance, number four, is that we learn in this passage the way that we too might be with him beyond this life. Because Jesus says, I am the way, I am the life, I am the truth. He says that I am the way. We've talked in previous weeks about Jesus describing himself as the gateway, the, the doorway that provides access to a personal relationship with God, into the goodness of God. We've discussed how he describes himself as the good shepherd, the one who takes us by the hand and leads us out to where we need to go and where he is already moving. Jesus, you see, is the way. Jesus is the life. We talked last week about John chapter 11 when Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead after Lazarus had been dead for four days. You remember what his sister said, let's not open that tomb because we know it's going to smell in there. That's what dead bodies do. And Jesus said, take the stone away. And then with a loud voice, remember, he says, Lazarus, come out. And what did Lazarus do? He came out. 
And Jesus said, not only remove the stone, but then he says, take off these grave clothes because they do not fit a man who is now living again. You see, in the Hebrew mindset, uh, as a person transitioned into Sheol after four days, they were gone. They were gone. But Jesus is putting an exclamation point on the fact that he could reach through death and he can grab it by the throat and he can wrestle it down to the ground just like that American wrestler did in the 2000 Sydney Olympics to Alexander Karelin, one of my favorite wrestling stories of all time. What a great underdog story, and yet it came to be. Jesus has defeated the last enemy of our lives, and that is death. In him, nothing can separate us from the love of God. The promise that he gives, Jesus is the way, Jesus is the life, and Jesus is the truth. In John chapter 8, Jesus describes how He is the truth, and that if you know the truth, the truth will set you free. You see, truth is more than just a concept. Truth is more than just something to believe or to hold dear. Truth is the person of Jesus and walking in a personal relationship with Him. Back in 1992, at Harvard University, something called the Veritas Forum was launched. And in the decade since, it's spread through to campuses all around the world. It was a desire from the, by the chaplain at Harvard. Uh, Harvard's motto actually is Veritas, which means truth. And so the, the attempt has been to gather people together to talk about the really substantial issues of life. Things like afterlife. Or what is, what is really a good life to live And how do we access that? And all sorts of things. And these conversations have been going on. Daniel Cho, who's now the executive director of the Veritas Forum, said he was at that very first first forum back in 1992. He was a freshman at Harvard, and he sat there in the audience. And he says his life was profoundly shaped by the coherence of life, the truth, and the beauty in Jesus Christ that I tasted over that weekend within that community of seekers. And then he goes on to describe a book that he hoped would be a blessing to many others describing that forum. But I love the way he describes the beauty and the truth and the coherent life that is described and embraced through a relationship with Jesus. I want to end with this. If Jesus is the truth, the question that Jesus continually asks, and I want to ask again, is do you put your whole weight, the whole weight of your whole being, in trusting Him? If Jesus is the truth, do you trust Him with your whole life? Do you continuously answer that question, do you believe? Do you believe for His future for this church? I do. I'm trying to. Do you believe that the Christian community in this place and across Marin can flourish and even expand even with the departure of the seminary? I do. I think our best days are ahead of us as a Christian faith, as a community here in the county, as a family here at Tiburon Baptist Church, because we look to the one who is the way and the truth and the life, the one who loves you enough to call you into his family to prepare a place for you, and to promise that he will come back to claim you so that where he is, you will forever be. I pray that that's good news for you this morning. Do not let 
your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in Jesus. Father, we thank you for this good word. We thank you for your your sharing yourself with us. You are the way and the truth and the life. May we embrace that with wholehearted trust, putting our whole weight of our trust and belief that you are the truth that will guide us into the very depths of what we most need in our life. We pray it in the name of Jesus together. Amen.